Smith Jr., IWGP Tag Team Champion, and you're listening to Japanese Wrestling Classics with Roy Lucer. Boom. Hey, wrestling fans. Roy Lucer here with another episode of Japanese Wrestling Classics with Roy Lucer. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. You know, first of all, let me just say this. We need to do a podcast in order to stand out. You have to do something different. You can't be like everyone else out there. You know, that's a little personal advice to anyone who's doing a podcast, by the way. So you really have to, you know, you can't do the, the Raw and the SmackDown and even the New Japan reviews because, you know, most people have already seen the show and stuff like that. So what do you do to do something to stand out and do something different is, you know, just think, think of a topic. Think of a subject that no one has done before. Or you do it from your own perspective. I mean, I get why guys like, you know, Meltzer and Bruce Pritchard and, you know, my good friend Brian Last, where you do something different with your show. You know, either you were there or you present it from an angle that no one's done before. And with this show right here now, I believe that I deliver with that because I present something here that has never been done before. My guest today on the show has never done an interview before about his days in Japan. My guest today was, he debuted in Japan in 1994. He wrestled there for over 11 years in the country. He was a part of the two biggest federations, the oldest federations in Japan, All Japan and New Japan. He was a major part of the New Japan scene in the early 2000s. He was a major part of a lot of stuff in Japan in the 90s and 2000s. What a lot of people out there may know him by most famously will be the character that he did as a video game character. He played the real-life Wolf Hawkfield from the Virtual Fighter game for a couple years. He afterwards had a very, very, very successful tag team with Mike Barton, a.k.a. Bart Gunn, after that in both All Japan and New Japan. He tells his story here today, and we go down memory lane, as he, wish, he wants to call it, and I'm just glad to be the person that can be the, the avenue and the venue to make that happen. So without further ado, let me get to my interview with, as you've guessed, my guest today, known as Jungle Jim Steele, a.k.a. Wolf Hockfield, a.k.a. Jim Steele. Now, Jungle Jim here tells us about his days training and then first getting the call to Japan. And it's a wonderful story here, and I'm just glad to be the person that can make this happen. Uh, afterwards, we're going to go into what is his theme song that he used while he was over in Japan. Um, now, I don't know a lot about Wikipedia, but obviously I use it. And on Wikipedia, it lists one of his theme songs being Welcome to the Jungle, obviously by Guns N' Roses. When he was in Japan, after he stopped using the Jungle Jim Steel name, he also used Machine Head by Bush when he was a singles wrestler, and then when he was a tag team with Bart, they used Control by Puddle of Mud. 
Now, obviously, those are copyrighted songs, so I'm going to skip around copyright here and play Control by Puddle of Mud, however, the 8-bit version of it, which I think sounds pretty cool. So without further ado, let's go into the interview with Jungle Jim Steele. Hello, wrestling fans. Welcome to another edition of Japanese Wrestling Classics with Roy Lusher. And I have someone on the line right now that I have been looking forward to doing an interview with since day one. He's gone by multiple names in all Japan. He's been the video game character Wolf Hawkfield. He's been uh, Love Machine. He's been uh, Lacrosse. But his most common name is Jungle Jim Steele. How you doing today, Jim? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing, Roy? I'm doing amazing. Uh, let's dive right into it. Um, tell us a little bit about when you were younger. Were you a fan of pro wrestling? And if so, who were some of your favorites? Oh, man. So, I, I hope my interview is... I, I've listened to your interviews. First of all, let me say, I've listened to the interviews that you've done, and uh, they're all great. But there was two in particular that were really awesome. Um, so, I hope that I can measure up those and uh, have mine be somewhat interesting, I hope, because I think some of my answers may be lackluster or let you down, but I may have some good stories, too. So my answer to this is I was not a wrestling fan at all, uh, which is weird because most wrestlers were big, huge fans growing up, like so they had a huge advantage over me because they grew up watching this. I mean, they probably played wrestling, wrestler or whatever, you know, as little kids with their brothers or friends and knew all the holds and maneuvers. I I was not a fan. I knew nothing about it until I actually started. So, uh, no, I was not a fan at all. Wow. Now, did you participate yep. in athletics throughout your days of schooling? I did. Uh, I was I was actually really skinny in in school all the way up through high school. I I played soccer in high school. I graduated high school at about a hundred and sixty pounds, and I I was six four. So. That was, I was a skinny rail. So when I, I didn't start working out until I was like 19 out of high school, and uh, I gained over 100 pounds. Uh, I totally transformed my body. I was 160 when I graduated high school to like my heaviest was uh, 285 probably. Wow. Now, how did you come in contact with the wrestling school? run by Steve Kern and Ron Slinker. Well, uh, so I had friends of mine, one in particular, Kenny Kendall, he wrestled, and he would try talking me into coming down with him and training. And Jeff blowed him off saying, ah, no, I'm not really into that, I don't know. And uh, he just kept trying and trying, and eventually I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll go down there and check it out with you. And so they had a uh, like a wrestling school at the docks, like uh, in South Tampa, in just a, a warehouse 
that just uh, had fans, and that's it. Open, open uh, doors and fans in the summer of uh, Florida, and it was hot as hell and sweating. And I never took a bump or anything before. Uh, but that—that's how I—that's where how I got in touch with Steve Turner, Rod Slinker, and I don't know how long I trained. Eventually, I had a match in uh, in camp at the Sportatorium, and again, my wrestling history goes back to to when I went down and started training with them. I was like, well, if I'm gonna be a wrestler, I better start watching this so I can see what to do and how to do it. Cause I. You know, I had to start learning from scratch. So I would watch wrestling from that point on. And uh, I, re- I remember even, like, tape recording it with uh, VCR back in the day. And I would slow it down frame by frame to see how some of the moves were done because I, you know, I was trying to learn everything. And uh, so I remember watching, I think it was WWF at the time, uh, maybe Global... Uh, out of Texas or something. And so I had uh, an image in my mind what wrestling was. And then when I had my first match at the Sportatorium in this little tiny building that held maybe, I don't know, 150 people, then that would be packed. And I'm like, this is wrestling? Like, I thought for a moment, like, what the heck? Did I, did I even want to do this? Like, seriously, I, I went from, you know, watching it on television, trying to learn it, uh, to having an actual match and I, with people in the crowd yelling, and some of them can't even complete uh, complete sentences. I'm like, what the hell? Seriously, am I really... Am I really getting into this and doing this? Do I want to do this? So, yeah, it was a little bit of a shock from that moment, like, whoa, that's wrestling, to, you know, what I ended up doing eventually. So Now, after that, you actually went to WCW for a little bit and was a part of the power plant. Uh, any memories that you want to share about that? Uh, for wanting to throw up, I remember, uh, like, I, I think that's, pretty much uh, standard protocol for any wrestling school is just to beat the shit out of you. So, <laughs> I don't know, to see if you have the heart, to see if you want to continue, to see if they can run you off, to see whatever. And I remember we did so many, they call them like Hindu squats or bucket squats. I think we had like a bucket and on the ground, like one of those, uh, I don't know, five-gallon paint buckets or something. And we would just do, well, I guess what are called Hindu squats, and, and you'd, like, put your arms out, uh, hold it up laterally, and squat down so your butt would touch the bucket. And uh, they'd be watching to make sure you actually touched the bucket, and if you didn't, you'd have to go back down again. And I don't remember how many we did that first day I was there. Uh, I don't think I actually ever threw up, but I probably wanted to. But I know (laughs) that the next day or two, my ass was so sore just from doing squats. Like, it literally literally took me, like, 10 minutes to 
sit down on the toilet because my legs would not move. And then to get back up off the toilet, I was there. They were just so freaking sore. Um, and it, it just went from there. It got a little better uh, once we got into it. But that was their, you know, they, because the other guys, you know, they didn't have power plants or schools to go to. They had to learn, uh, you know, just on the road and, and in their own little backyard, wherever they would train. So they probably thought, you know, these guys are getting uh, a quick ride into the business, and they just wanted to make sure that you that they could make you pay whatever dues that they could make you pay there, you know. So that was their goal of just beating us down. Now, how did you come up with the rename Jungle Jim Steel, by the way? That was Dexter Rose. Uh, <laughs> I think he wanted to call me... I think he wanted to call me Jungle Boy or something. I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Uh, so we settled on uh, Jungle Jim Steel. I remember at TV tapings, which in Atlanta they held, I think it was Center Stage, I guess that's what it was called, uh, which was just a, a little small room with seats that kind of went straight up, and they were trying to devise a, a rope for me to swing into into the ring and, you know, bring the rope up into the stands and uh, grab, grab a hold of the rope and swing into the into the ring. Wow. But, uh, yeah. yeah, the only problem that didn't really work well because where I had a hold of the rope up in the, up in the stands, when I eventually would that when the pendulum would come down it would be i'd be running in smack dab into like the bottom of the ring base you know and so there's really no way to grab high enough on that rope where i could swing in and when the pendulum would be above the uh, of the rope would be above the ring i would be actually over the ropes to get in there so we had a scratch out idea but they were they were trying to work on that, which would have been kind of cool, um, <laughs> but that never panned out. So, Now, on to All Japan, how did you end up in contact with the company? That would be uh, Johnny Ace got me, got me in touch with them and got me over there. Nice. He was like their liaison, their booker, I think, uh, for, for them, and uh, he would just bring different guys in. He knew my contract was up with WCW, so he brought me in there. Uh, that was for the, the tag tournament in 94, my first time there. Now, were you familiar with most of the wrestlers that worked there before you started? Absolutely not. Now, you know, back in that day, 94, we didn't really even have Internet, so I couldn't even research. Like nowadays, you go somewhere, I could at least research who I was wrestling with watch their matches, uh, be familiar with them. But uh, back then, in uh, 94, I knew of uh, the people that were there. Um, I knew about Stan Hansen. I knew about his stiff clothesline. I knew about <laughs> to make sure I was running up into it as high as I could so he wouldn't clock my head off. knew about Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher. I knew about some of them, but I really didn't know much more than just their names. 
How much of a learning experience was that first tour of all Japan? Oh, huge. Yeah, I was, uh, again, I was never a big fan of wrestling, but I was kind of like a, a big mark for going over there. I was just, I couldn't believe, like, wow, I'm actually going over to Japan. Like, um, so it was pretty amazing. And and it was like a big family over there. I was the, the new stepkid, the foster kid, you know. And uh, does anybody want the new foster kid around or the new kid there? So, uh, you know, they all treated me as nice as could be expected. But still, you, you know, you feel you feel kind of somewhat out of place until I started going more frequently and, and felt uh, – you know, like a regular in-placer. But it was it was a, definitely a big learning um, experience for me, for sure. Lots of having Danny Spidey as your tag partner for that first uh, real-world tag league back in 94. Uh, I knew he was a veteran. He had been going over there a lot. And I thought, it would be a, you know, if I was going to get tagged with somebody, he'd be a, a good guy to get tagged with just because uh, – of his name and his statue, how long he's been there, and he actually ended up. He lived there. He lived here in uh, in Florida, in Tampa. I didn't really know of him. I mean, I just knew of him. I didn't know him at all. Uh, but he yeah. actually ended up being a pretty cool guy. Yeah. Give me some good advice and stuff. Yeah. Now you came back three months later, except this time using the gimmick the lacrosse. Who came up with that gimmick? Uh, that would be the, uh, Japanese office. And I'm not really sure what it is or was. They described it, and I don't know if it came through in translation, but they described it as some satellite something or other. And I actually, before you before you came, uh, coming on this call, I, I Googled that because I knew that you were going to probably going to ask me that, but I was like, what the hell was, was lacrosse? And I looked up, I don't know, lacrosse, lacrosse satellite, and there is something, uh, lacrosse satellite came up in Google. So how they translated that to a wrestler or wrestling, I'm not sure exactly, but that's what was told to me. It had something to do with the satellite space, and I'm like, okay, hey, if I'm coming back, that's all I need to know. Now, around that time that you worked for All Japan, you would also make occasional appearances for uh, Carlos Colon in Puerto Rico. Uh, any memories about working those shows that come to mind? Uh, yeah, I, I I did more than make occasional appearances there. Actually, so uh, let's see, my first trip to uh, my first trip to Japan was '94. That was a tag tournament, which was like four weeks long. And then, you know, I came back, you know, occasionally and I'm like, I need to I need to work more um more than just, you know, occasional. So I ended up getting booked down in Puerto Rico and I just wanted to go down there uh for the weekend or or actually I wanted to fly in and out for their shows, but Puerto Rico doesn't really do that. They don't really fly anybody in and out for the shows. I mean, they will fly somebody in for a weekend or something like that. But if they want you to work their full time, they're not going to fly you in, work your shots, and then fly back home, fly back down, fly back home. 
they want you to to be there, live there. So I actually, my first time there was October of 95, in the middle of October. And um, I went ahead and went down there with the intention of staying. But, I mean, that's what I told the office. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll come down there. But I figured, "Ah, if I don't like it, I'll just go back or I'll see, you know, what it's like. Um, I really wasn't too keen on going down there and staying down there. Like, the most of my knowledge of Puerto Rico was um, seeing it in the news whenever a hurricane was coming through, ripping that place apart, and I would see them, uh, you know, places being boarded up, and, I, and plus they had bars in all the windows. And I thought to myself, this was before I went down there, I thought to myself, what the hell? Who would want to go to Puerto Rico? Who would want to live there? And uh, so I found myself going down to Puerto Rico in October of 95 and staying there until they closed down until, like, mid-December. And so they created a big angle because I knew I was going, I knew I was going back to Japan January of 96 and i think that was a four-week tour as well so they knew i was so there was going to be you know we worked three about three months from october to the middle of december so about three months down there we made a big angle Bronco was one of the main heels down there i was a baby face down there Bronco was one of the main heels and he beat the crap out of me at one of their tv shows where I was a bloody mess, and they carried me, carried me out of the out of the arena into an ambulance and, and drove off with the ambulance. And then, of course, I was gone. And like nowadays, they could just do a little do a do a Google search and find out what happened, where you're at. Back then. <laughs> Back then, you couldn't uh, just do a Google search and see, oh, Jim's not hurt. He's he's in Japan wrestling. Yeah. So, and and down there, they really, I, I don't know if they, I don't know if it's they believe it. I think, I think a part of it thinks they actually do believe it, and maybe part of it thinks it's a work and they're smart to it. But back then, I think maybe they were, they believed it more. And and they were really pushing. That, that was like one of the last territories, Puerto Rico, that you could actually go and work. Yeah. Um, and they were really pushing that angle. And I had no no idea how hard they were pushing that angle until I came back to Puerto Rico. When did I come back to Puerto Rico? I came back uh, in March of '96. Uh, so. I went to Japan, right, for all of January. I came back the uh, end of January. actually got married in February out in Vegas. And then I moved down to uh, to Puerto Rico. So uh, my time the wife and, and her little daughter, who had moved down to Puerto Rico in March. And everywhere, anywhere you went in Puerto Rico, they were like, jungle, jungle, kill him, kill him. I'm like, what? I had almost like, I knew that they had the angle going, but I had not realized, I had not realized how strong that wrestling show was down there. 
like anywhere. Plus, I you know I had a, a long hair at the time, and I was pretty big at the time. And, and wrestling was just a suit. I don't even know what kind of ratings they got, but uh, wrestling was like super popular, more popular than the news down there. So, and they I think it's the show ran every Saturday and Sunday. So by the time I got back in March, like they they had pushed it so hard that it that it really was it went over pretty well and then uh so and I was a face for a long time until I turned on Ray Gonzalez down there and then oh my god then they hated me when I turned against Ray Gonzalez I mean they would they would literally they would literally like throw like I don't know throw cups of piss at you throw spark plugs at you rock I mean, we'd even get a – sometimes we would leave a building and somebody would be shooting off a gun. I'm like, oh, crap, and we'd duck down, try to get out of there. Like, literally, crazy shit down there. It's, uh, let's see. Uh, and I remember – so I I mean, so I lived there. So, and, you know, that first part, 95, October to December, I was just temporary. I, I lived down there, but I have my place back in Atlanta still. And then – so in March of 96, I actually moved there, and then they knew that whenever Japan called, we would just make some kind of angle or whatever, and I would leave and go to Japan and then come back. But that was my actual address, my physical address down there, until like maybe the summer of uh, 97, Japan had called me, or Japan had told me they're going to use me full time. Um, and I was like, oh, God, thank God, because I was just getting tired of Puerto Rico. Now I look back on it and have nothing but fond memories. I love that place. But at that moment, I was just getting so over it. I was just like, but I needed to work and make money, so I had to stay there. But when I got the news that I was going uh, back to Japan full time, I was like, yes, we can get <laughs> off this island, you know. Yeah, I need to find some of those TV shows because I've heard about some of the work down there, and but honestly, I've, I've seen a lot of stuff over the years, and I have you know a large collection. But that Puerto Rico stuff—it's not easy to come by. Oh really? I thought there's lots of it on YouTube, and you know Puerto Rico is—I I feel sorry for those guys right now because I don't even know what the percentage of that island has electricity now. I mean, yeah. I, goes out to the yeah. uh, I mean, you know, heck, people around here are out electric for, for an hour, for a half hour. I'm like, you're like, oh, my God. And, you know, when the when hurricane through here, some people was out of electric for three, four, five days, and they were flipping out. Like, I, I don't even know what that must be like to, like, uh, I'm sure, I think a greater percentage, I think, what is it, uh, maybe 70% of the island is still without power? Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't even imagine. That's uh, mind-boggling. But there are, but if you go on YouTube, you can find, you can find uh, all kinds of matches. You know, I was not a big fan. I'm going to tell you a couple funny stories. It's, I was not I was not a big fan of bleeding. How's this uh so we're shooting here, right? On this uh on Absolutely. This so, yeah, um, 100%. Okay, so yeah. Okay, so um you know, if you look 
and a lot of the guys down in Puerto Rico. Bleeding in matches is like a regular occurrence down there. And and I, you know, seen a lot of the foreheads of a lot of the regulars down there. And I was just not down for that, man. I was just like, not for this paycheck. It just, not for any paycheck. I don't want to. But had it been in maybe a bigger company and, you know, infrequently. But a lot of these guys were doing it like every match. And you cut yourself every match. And your forehead ends up looking like hamburger, um, like Cologne's head, like yeah. Cologne's forehead. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, I remember some of the guys like just, you know, thinking about going over a match and thinking of a match. Uh, let me think here, amigo. And you know, like they're scratching their head, like you know, in thought, and not meaning to, but because their head is just like so cut up that. They start bleeding, and I'm like, hey, uh, brother, your forehead, man, you're, you're bleeding. You know, from a night before when they cut themselves and they accident, you know. So uh, I remember they came, uh, this was a cage match once. Carlos came to me and goes, hey, amigo, I, I, need you to, I need you to juice tonight. I'm like, what? Juice? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, we're in a cage match. We all got to bleed tonight. And I'm like, uh... No, I can't do that. So I, I took my chances. Like I, he could have said, "Well, you know what? You can go home then," but he didn't. And so he's like, "All right, we got to work around it then." <laughs> so I remember, you know, it's just like in today's day, it's not healthy. I don't want to be around everybody bleeding and mixing blood. It's you know, hey, um, I'm sure everybody has an opinion on that, but I just wasn't down for that. So um, I remember just, I don't know kicking and, and, and just trying to stay away from him as much. When they come at me, I'd kick him and throw him into the fence. Uh, I'd go over the top and into the fence gladly and just stay down for a little while and, you know, crawl back up, let him kick me back off. And uh, it's just something that I wasn't into. So and uh, uh, I bled a couple times in matches, but, but, but the hard way, not because I actually caused myself to bleed. It would be because, you know, somebody – punch me or I didn't duck when I was supposed to duck or something and uh so you know that was that was a different story if it happened like that it happened like that but now thoughts on the team that you formed with um Dr. Death and Gary Albright known as the Triangle of Power the Triangle of T.O.P. um (laughs) yeah those were those were two really strong powerful guys the weak link on that team, but I was glad to be a part of it. I think there was I'm trying to think if there was another team. I think I was lacrosse actually at yeah. that time. Yeah. yeah, we got some nice jackets. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was. I was glad. I was glad to be a part of it. I, it, it just gave me a little bit more recognition. I guess by being with them, it made me a little stronger because I was part of that team. You know what? I did most of the jobs for that team, but uh, that's no big deal. What kind of person was Doctor Death outside of the ring? He was nice, but definitely intense sometimes. But he was very approachable. He it was fun listening to some some of his stories because he's been there forever, and he had a lot of wisdom. It was really hard watching him 
go from this massive monster wrestler dude when he had cancer. You know, that was that was tough watching watching uh, the decline of him on that. Now, under the Wolf Hawkfield character, how was the idea of being Wolf Hawkfield pitched to you? I, I don't really remember how the idea was pitched to me. I think they just – kind of remember now. I think they called me into another room. Hey, you know, Papa wants to see you. I'm like, okay. And so I go in there, and there's a bunch of reporters in there, and he tells me what's going on. And uh, I think I was grateful for it just because, again, it meant well, job security, you know. They didn't. They didn't give you. They didn't necessarily give you contracts there. Like, okay, you're gonna be. You're gonna be. Here's three year contract. They just gave you your word. Having a gimmick like that, having them put uh, time and energy into that, as I just thought, okay, that's great because that means I'm gonna be here for a while. So hell yeah, okay, I'll do that. That's a common theme with Baba. Is there was no contracts, but there was handshakes. And Bobble was a man of his word. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, you know, we'd have contracts for each tour that we went over on. But uh, as far as, like, a year contract or two years or whatever, he just said, they're going to be coming all the time from now on. Or he, in his way, ooh, you come every time. You know, I'm like, all right, awesome. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, right. It was, it was their word. Uh, and a handshake, you know, and you can take it to the bank. Was there any push by Sega to bring you into any other companies to help promote the Sega Saturn slash Sega Dreamcast in North America? If if there was, I didn't know about it because okay. everything would have gone. Everything would have gone through the office, and uh, I only would have known what they wanted me to know. So I, I think I. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. It was a push that I was uh, gladly accepting. <laughs> now, what perks – I have a friend that wanted me to ask this. What perks did Sega give you for playing the character? Were there any free games or anything else? Oh, man, I wish I, wish I had a whole list of awesome perks to tell you about, but I think I got uh, – I got the, the game console and maybe a couple games, and I got a cool jacket on. That was my ring jacket, you know. It's the original Sega heavy leather jacket. I actually still have that today in my closet. But, yeah, that, as far as that, that's all the perks I got. But the main perk that I got was I got to come on every tour. Speaking so of jackets, I just have to ask, do you still have your Ribera jacket? You know what? I never got a Ribera jacket. Ooh. I went there a couple times and, and ate there, but I, I never, uh, I didn't really care about the Ribera jacket. I just wanted to go eat there. <laughs> <laughs> it's often said in the 80s or the 90s that All Japan had some of the greatest wrestling to ever take place in the history of our business. And you were dead center in the middle of that. You wrestled every name, big and small, during that era. Who were some of your favorites to be in the ring with? So, I like all of the Japanese wrestlers were really awesome to work with. Like there was, there wasn't really a bad uh, Japanese wrestler. 
anyone from one of the young boys who are on the low end of the totem pole all the way up to um, Mizawa Kawada. Now they may not want to they may not want to give you as much, and they could be really stiff. But they were professional and good in the ring. But my favorite probably would be Kabashi. He was awesome to work. He he was like a huge baby face there, and he would yeah he would get you going in there, and it just um they they were behind him. They were behind anybody who wrestled a good fight. They didn't really have. I mean, I guess if you want to say, I guess we'd be maybe more heels there. But the fans just just enjoyed watching a good fight. And Kabashi, I think, was one of their favorites. So having a match against him was, uh, and plus he was just, he was e- like, he was even more friendly to work with than, than Mizawa, Kawada, and those guys. I just, I like, that was probably my favorite one uh, to work over there. Wow. As far as Japanese guys. You had hundreds of matches pre-Noah split. Uh, looking back, what matches come to mind? before the company, the NOAA All Japan split, come to mind as a couple of your personal favorites? Definitely, probably winning the, uh, the All-Asian Tag belt, uh, me and Johnny Smith. Uh, that was the first time actually, you know, winning the belts over there. That's, that, was, that was a pretty good, you know, momentous time. And it, not necessarily and any match... Any match that you had in the Budokan or Karakan Hall would be my favorite matches. I mean, that place, those places were gold to have matches in. And it's uh, the way they showed their appreciation. I've never seen that any place else. But like, they would start, they would start stopping their feet, and the Budokan. Holds, uh, I don't know, what is it, 18,000 people, I think? Yeah. And the, the, the seats go straight up. And when everybody starts, they would start stomping on, like, maybe, you know, kickouts on, you know, or anything that good that they like. But really, at the end of a match, when you start kicking out of something that they thought maybe was the end or the finish, everybody in there would just start stomping their feet in unison, and it sounded like thunder in there. We we wrestled we wrestled in the Tokyo Dome, which I think holds what fifty or sixty thousand people. I don't even know. Yeah, um, sixty-five, seventy. Okay, but the Budokan by far, I would take a match in there any day over the Tokyo Dome. It was just it was more intimate. So same with uh, Karakan Hall. That place only. Only held what was the, what does that place hold? Maybe uh, I don't even know a thousand. Got eleven thousand. Eleven thousand? Not that much. You mean eleven hundred? Yeah. I, oh, geez. I, I'm uh, off the top of my head. I can't remember, but it's not a lot. Uh, yeah, Crockett Hall. That's that's the smaller smaller arena. That, but yeah, I would say maybe thousand if if it holds that many. I don't even know if it holds that many. But Crockett Hall, Budokan. Very intimate. They were like on top of you there, and you could almost like feel them breathing on you. And so, to me, that was much better than the Tokyo Dome with the big, the big monitors on, you know, the big screens showing the match. It's just, it's just they were just too far away from you. It was just too 
non intimate. Yeah, but so to answer your question, any match at the Budokan, any match at uh, Karakin Hall would be uh, one of my favorite matches. And if you got to wrestle uh, Kabashi or or somebody there, that would be just even multiplied then because uh, you just couldn't have a bad match in the Budokan with him or, or really anybody there. Anybody there would be awesome. How did you learn about the passing of Baba? You know, I, I don't really recall exactly how I knew, uh, how I found out about it. I think we all knew it was coming because he, he wasn't around anymore on on the tours because he would go on. He was every every town with us, you know. He he would, uh, I think... I think my very first trip over to the '94 the the tag team tournament. I think he still he wrestled then. I think actually he might have been Stan's partner. Um, him and Stan maybe I think were uh, partners. But mm-hmm. after that, he pretty much was we, we would call a popcorn match, which was uh, right before intermission. Uh, like the we call it that or the comedy match. But he was I mean he went to every town with us. But when he started not going to the towns with us, we knew something was up, you know, and we knew he was sick. And uh, I don't think it took too much. It didn't take long once he, once they found out and, and he didn't start coming. I don't think it took too long uh, before he died. He's... No, let's go back to the split between All Japan and Noah. Did you have any idea there was some kind of, power struggle internally, and were you asked to be a part of NOAA? We, we knew there was something going on, but I wasn't too sure uh, exactly. And, no, I didn't get asked to go to NOAA. Uh, okay. I think, I think a couple of I, – I think a couple of guys maybe – like the, a lot of the guy jeans, I don't think anyway, got asked. Maybe uh, Kea. He was like, you know, Kea, he might have – gotten asked to uh, he stayed because he, he he you know trained in their dojo i think maybe richard slinger probably did but i i think uh most of the gaijin stayed with all japan and then a handful of the japanese state also now i've asked others this so i want to ask you the same question did you at any time feel the company all japan was in any danger of closing down with so much of the roster leaving at one time. Yeah, nothing lasts forever. Uh, and, you know, any, you know any, any anything like that that disrupts, you know, so much of it. Heck, Bob is gone now, and, and Mazawa them split, make Noah, and, you know, Mrs. Bob is running the company, so, yeah, we were, you know, we were all kind of wondering, oh, crap, what's going on, what's going to happen now, you know? Like, do we have a job? How long is it going to last? Um, yeah, so there was definitely, um, you know, you might have not, you might have, I don't know, not shown it or whatever, but, yeah, I, I, at least I thought so. I mean, heck, you know, you got Mr. Baba died, and, and, and more than half of the, Japanese go off and make their own company? Yeah, something's going on. <laughs> now, once the 2000 Real World Tag League started, All Japan changed your name back to your original ring name of Jungle Jim Steel. 
Any reason for the end of Wolf Hawkfield at that time? Nothing in particular that I know of, um, but I was actually glad to go back. Um, and, and it didn't go back to Jungle Gym. I just went to Jim Steele, um, oh. which I actually I actually liked because it meant no more face paint. You know, I was happy. I was really happy when I went from lacrosse to Wolf Hawkfield uh, because I got to get rid of the mask. I don't like wrestling under a mask. It's hot. You know, I got to put this thing on. But wrestling in paint was better than wrestling in a mask. And, and then when I when I went back to Jim Steele, I'm like, wait, you mean I can get rid of the paint too? So actually, I, I was, I was kind of happy about that. Um, and I think Wolf Hawkfield's push was kind of over. So I don't know really why they why they decided to uh, to go back, but I was glad they did. Awesome. Now I know he's also from Florida, but did you know Mike Barton before that year's Real World Tag League? No, not really. I knew of him. Okay. Um, in a time where the companies really didn't interact with each other, how did it happen to where you and Barton became members of Chono's Team 2000 and end up competing in the G1 Tag League in 2001? I'm not real sure how that happened, but I think in an effort to make, you know, because, you, you know, you had Baba died and, and Mizawa them split off to make Noah. So, and Mrs. Bob is probably trying to make garner some more interest, and so they they got a little bit of a working agreement together. So it was actually uh, it was actually pretty cool going over to work with uh, with New Japan. So we actually enjoyed going over there working. Now you and Mike lit up the board left and right that that tournament with like impressive wins. What would you say is the difference between working at that time for All Japan and also working for New Japan? So I think um, going going to New Japan, they they used us pretty good over there. They took care of their guys a little a little different uh, over there. They they uh, I mean in All Japan, you know, they took care of the guys. He's okay, I guess. There was always cold beer waiting on the bus for us when we, you know, as soon as our matches was done, we'd go ahead on the bus and, and have a beer or we you know, watch the rest of the matches and then go back to the bus. But if we were driving back to the hotel or to the next town, there was always cold beer waiting for us. But, uh, you know, we would have to bring our own tape over. Um, they didn't have trainers necessarily per se. But they actually, when uh, when uh, Mrs. Baba, I think Muda was helping Mrs. Baba kind of, they, they they started to get a little bit more, because I think that was one of the big things that uh, when Mizawa and, uh, you know, split off and made Noah, I think that he, they catered to the boys more and uh, had trainers and stuff like that. But New Japan was uh, ahead of everybody doing that. They were, they'd have tape for us and trainers for us, doctors there. So uh, as far as that's concerned, they were more westernized with that part of the production and the uh, and how they took care of us. 
Now, honestly, a lot of people will say, looking back, your team with Mike Barton was really something special. What was it about your team with him that just clicked and made sense? I, I think uh, it might have been just the excitement of of everything going on because Zao and them left, and and so everybody's wondering what's going to happen here. And then we went to New Japan. So I think maybe maybe all of that and uh I don't know, just a, a different team and and maybe just working harder just because we're not you know, you're kinda like what's gonna happen so you wanna make sure that you have a job and I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Not try harder, but it's just it's um more motivated, new, right? Yeah, uh, maybe not even motivated, but it's just something different and something new. And it gave us it gave us new life going over to New Japan and and using us there for that uh, uh, that tour. Actually, I think uh, Bart and I ended up going back over there. I, I think it was uh, it was just uh, the excitement of actually switching over to New Japan and just just working with new guys. Sometimes you get a little stale working with the same guys. I mean, they're all good guys to work with, but it was exciting to work with different guys and, uh, and new guys that we that were just as awesome as the guys that we were working with, but a whole new crew. Wow. Thoughts and memories about working for and with and against the legendary Kiji Muto. Again, he's like one of uh, you know one of their top guys. It, it was easy working him. You knew it was a, it was you're working to get hurt. It was a night off. Other than that, we didn't have a lot of interactions together. You know, uh, going over the match. Uh, he was the boss pretty much at that time too, and uh, so he had his own he had his own room, his own trainer. But the matches were great. You know. And he was a soft-spoken. All the Japanese guys were pretty much soft-spoken uh, guys. Yeah, that's really that's about it. He, you know, he was great to work with. Now I remember in February 2003, you had a pretty serious leg injury. Um, what happened there? Oh man, dude. Yeah, I wish I knew because uh, actually, I think we were working. We were working with New Japan at this time. And we, uh, Bart and I decided to leave All Japan and work there. And we were getting a great push, and we were winding down, uh, winding down to the tour, to the, to, to the end of the tour. And I gave a move that I gave, it was my finishing move I was getting, I was giving. And it's a move that I've done hundreds and hundreds of times to heavier guys. It, it was explained to me uh, as I was asking the doctor, like, why? What how did how did I tear it? I told him about the teletendon, which is like the worst thing you can tear on your knee. People people always will always tear uh, your ACLs, your MCLs, those are the those are the ligaments uh, that are like internal on like either side of your knee, I guess. The patella tendon holds the kneecap in place and then attaches it below and attaches it 
above. So it attaches it like to the the thigh area above the knee and below like to the uh, tibia bone down there. And what it did is it tore below my kneecap and then it actually peeled off of my kneecap. So as it's explained, it was like, how can a piece of paper cut you? You can handle a piece of paper a bunch of times, and then you'll pick up a piece of paper, and you're like, ah, shit, what the hell? And you look at your finger, and you just got cut by a piece of paper. Like, how did that happen? A piece of paper, really? Yeah. So that's the way that's the way he explained it. That's the best explanation that I can think of. It's like it's something I did all the time, and it was just at the right moment and the right pressure, and pop, it just... It just tore, ripped, snapped. They stretched me off, took me to nearby hospital emergency room, and uh, two days later I was I was flying home. I was not going to get I was not going to get uh, surgery uh, done there in Japan and have them butcher up my knee over there. Not that they don't have you know good medical doctors and stuff, but uh, they were they're more about just fixing things, not about appearance. So um, I already have a good like size scar on my knee, but I've, I imagine it might have been a lot bigger if I uh, if I had gotten it done there. So I flew home and had that one done. But I was I was out out of commission for about seven months. So that was actually that was actually a pretty fast return for for the type of injury that that was. Now you and Mike, once you came back to action, you and Mike had a couple dark matches. In late 2003, for the WWE, was there any talks of bringing the both of you in permanently? Yeah, uh, no, honestly, uh, I don't. I don't think they were interested in us. They just uh, they gave us they gave us a match. Just I think out of courtesy, Johnny Ace was working there at the time. Bart had already worked there before. They just figured, ah, why not? You know, you know, you never know that. Anything could have happened, but I just don't think they were they were really looking at us. They just, uh, in my opinion, they're like, yeah, give them a match. Let's see what happens. If if there was anything spectacular, maybe they would have done something. But I think it was just like, eh, yeah, here you go. Have a match if you want it. So. When you and Mike stopped teaming in 2004, how come you returned to all Japan instead of staying in New Japan? That, okay, so it's because – I had a job there. You know, was, you know what? I, I get a, a question asked to me, or I used to get a question asked to me, lots of times by fans, uh, maybe like in Puerto Rico or anywhere, um, and they're like, "Why don't you go to WWE and work?" I was like, "Well, because I have to be offered a job there." Um, <laughs> so, all Japan. And offered it. Well, I reached out to them and I said, "Hey, can you guys? Will you guys use me?" And they said, "Yeah." Um, and I don't. And I think uh, New Japan they didn't offer me a job back at that time. And I, we, I did go back there after my knee. But like, who knows what would have happened if I didn't tear my knee? You know, what it could have, should have, what if, whatever. But uh, but they were pushing us pretty good. Maybe we could have stuck around a little bit longer or a little bit more. Who knows what? But uh, we were, like, going heavy right into this tournament, and then all of a sudden, bam, that. 
so I had my surgery. I did come back there for a couple tours, I think. But then, like, the excitement and the everything just kind of sizzled out. So I was like, oh, crap, I need a job. So I called up all Japan and went back there. Do you still stay in touch with uh, Mike nowadays? Occasionally. I actually Facebook friends through his wife on them. I don't think he has a Facebook account, but he told me, uh, you know, that his wife did it, so I just befriended him through her on there. And I'll see, I'll see her post some pictures of them out riding the Harley or something like that. Uh, so I kind of see him, you know, what's he, what's he, what he's up to a little bit through that. They live on the other coast, on the East Coast. And it's very, very occasionally I might text him or call him or something, but it's, it's been a while since I have. Now, when you returned to All Japan, you were doing that Love Machine X gimmick. Uh, it seemed like a pretty good group of guys in the stable from the original Super Strong Machine to Muto, Grand Hamada, Arashi, and a couple others. Uh, any memories looking back on that, being a part of that group? Eh, honestly, I don't know. Honestly, nothing really, nothing that stands out in particular. They're, you know, they're all good guys, but uh, I, well, I, I just moved recently, and I did find a couple Love Machine Steel masks and my wrestling <laughs> outfit uh, for that gimmick. So that was kind of that was kind of interesting, but uh, nothing really nothing sticks out that I can remember, you know, about that. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your final match in Japan was it on that sixth anniversary show for Baba's Passing? Yes, that would be in 2005. Yep. That was um, you, Barton, and uh, George Hines teaming up. Did it mean more that your final match in Japan was uh, teaming with uh, Mike Barton? Yeah, I, I mean, and George Hines, too, because uh, when I was lacrosse, he wrestled as Eagle. So um, uh, it, it was good to have a match with all of them. I pretty much knew that was probably going to be my last trip over to Japan. In fact, later that year, I think I went to Puerto Rico for a weekend and wrestled, and, and that was actually the last time I wrestled in was in 2005 then in uh, Puerto Rico, which is just uh, shortly after the uh, that uh, anniversary show in Japan. Now, you had an amazing decade-plus working in Japan for the two biggest organizations and oldest companies overseas. What would you say was the key to your success in constantly working over there? Uh, let's see. You know, I, I honestly I could say something profound like I don't know dedication, persistence, commitment, consistency, something like that. But uh, at the end of the day, if the office likes you and they want to use you and bring you over, that that's uh, what gets you over there. Um, your final match was it in uh, 2008? No, no, 2005. Oh, okay. Uh, that gotcha. was my last. Yeah, yeah. That uh, the the trip that uh, anniversary show for Baba in 2005 in Japan, and then later that year, not much later, but later that year, I went to Puerto Rico also for a weekend and wrestled there, and that was the last match I had, 2005. 
What made you hang up your boots for good at that time? I wasn't getting uh, getting called back as much for um, you know for all Japan, and you know you can't you can't make a living going over there you know two or three times a year, and it's hard to have a regular job and then go off and and wrestle you know for two to four weeks at a time. So plus I was getting a little older. I just tore. I had tore my shoulder earlier before I tore my knee. Then I tore my knee, and I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe I should think about getting uh, getting a, a regular job, which was a you know a difficult transition, going from flying all over the place, traveling, and then working someplace nine to five. And uh, so that was. Uh, I figured it was time to do that. You looking back on your career in Japan, is there like a one or two memories that stick out as the ones that you have the most pride about? I don't know if there's like any in particular memory, but I think just being able to have the longevity of actually wrestling and making a living out of it for what was it? I don't know. Well, 13 years, I guess. 11 years over in Japan. So, you know, I mean, and that, that's just much of the draw. I mean, you know, some people do, you know, some, of course, will rise to the top and become, you know, superstars. But uh, there's a lot of people out there that, that want to wrestle and never really get to do much with it other than maybe just uh, wrestling some local independence or something. So I think just as a whole um, that I was able to actually make a living out of it and, and travel as many places as I did and, and work for some of the best companies um, and, and over in Japan for 11 years as much as I did. I, I think that as a whole it was probably one of my best memories, just being able to have all those memories. Do you still follow the product uh, catalog nowadays? No, not really. I, I occasionally I will uh I actually turned wrestling on last night as I was making dinner, but I I'm sorry. Don't really <laughs> what's that? I said I'm sorry that you turned it on last night. Dude. That must have been Monday night raw. <laughs> oh yeah, so I don't, I don't, okay, I got you. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know a lot of the people, you know, and it was just, I, you know what, I appreciate it. I appreciate it for the art that it is. And since I've done that in the past, and I like to occasionally watch it, but yeah, I don't, uh, it's nothing that I have to watch or anything. Um, now, what is it that you do with your life nowadays? Now, I am a nurse, actually. So I, uh, I told you I went back to work a regular job in 2005, six, seven, eight. At the towards the end of 2008, when the country had the um, the uh, economic crisis that it did, and companies were closing down, and people were losing their jobs. The company that I worked for at the time. Um, closed down, and uh, so I was in 2000, November of 2008, I was left without a job, and I'm like, oh, crap, 
Now what do I do? And I always wanted to go back. I always wanted to go back to school. I went. I went back to. I went back to school and just started taking general classes, and then I kind of steered toward sciences, and um, I ended up going towards nursing. And so I'm a. I'm a registered nurse now. That's awesome, um, Jim. I thank you so much for your time today. As I mentioned earlier, um, oh, I did a poll on my Japanese Facebook page and asked people, like, who would you like on here? The name Wolf Hockfield and Jungle Jim Steele came up more than anybody else. So, you know, oh, you're cool. easily the most requested guest for my show to this date. Any words out there for the listeners who followed your career uh, over the years? Uh, thank you for letting me entertain you. I hope you liked uh, the match by matches. Hey, you know, um, just real quick, if you, I just wanted a, a couple different things out there, which uh-huh. you may you may or may not have you may or may not have uh, known. Um, but I was actually I've been in a couple movies actually. Um, oh really? Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah. So and I think I think Bart and I. Um, this particular part, we wrestled, or we we were in a movie. Um, it, it's called Ricky Dozon. <laughs> I uh, got that for Father's Day. Day. Yeah. yeah. You know that? Okay. You okay? So, uh, Ricky Dozon, a hero extraordinaire, I think it's called. Yes. The, uh, so the yeah. scene where the uh, the Sharp Brothers. Yes. Yes. So uh, Mike played Ben Sharp, and I played Mike Sharp. Now, I don't know. I've never seen the movie, so I don't know if any of our scenes made it. But you did. Uh, we you did. Oh, we did. Okay, so we were uh, we were in we were in Japan filming that. They flew us over to Korea. We were filming it over there, and that was in 2004. And, uh, and then there was actually a couple other not not uh, wrestling movies, uh, but one of them was just incidentally called Super Fights. And that was in '97. And I actually got a starring role in that, so that was kind of fun. That was wow. in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yep. And uh, there was another one that was filmed in Puerto Rico, and I, I, I was just like an extra on on that one. And uh, that one was called uh, The Survivor. It was also called Terminal Force. That was a uh, came out in '98. So. Those those were like, uh, there might have been a couple other movies that just like an extra or something like that, but you know the Ricky Dozo one that had we had a little scene in there, you know, a, a, a starring role even though it was a very very small role, but the Sharp Brothers you know played I guess a kind of pivotal role um, with that, and uh, Super Fight was a starring role, so I got to see uh, that side of entertainment how they. Uh, you know, put together a movie, how the tedious aspects of it. But, yeah, so, hey, thank you for this time. And, uh, you know what, that, that was, uh, those, uh, those 11 years over there were fond times of fond memories. I used to, we used to count down until the, you know, when we got there, you know, we enjoyed the first couple days, week, but then we used to count down how many days and how many hours until we could go back home. But we started getting tired of some of the food and truck stops. 
But now, man, I tell you what, I would do anything for some shabu shabu or some yakiniku or <laughs> some yakitori. You'd be on one of those little side streets in Tokyo or one of those, you know, far off uh, country towns and walk into one of those little yakitori huts. Man, I tell you what, I would, I, I actually miss all of that now and. So maybe one of these days I'll have to just go over as a tourist and uh, visit Japan. That would be uh, that would be a lot of fun for me. So hey, Roy, thank you for uh, taking me down memory lane. I appreciate that, and uh, thank you very much. No problem, Jim, and thank you no for coming on the show. Really appreciate it.
there you go, wrestling fans. There's my interview with Mr. Jim Steele, a.k.a. Jungle Jim Steele, a.k.a. Wolf Hockfield. I honestly had a blast doing this one, and I hope that it came across great on your guys' end. Um, I did want to mention that I did notice there were some audio issues late in the episode. When I would talk, there would be a slight echo. I taped this episode about a week and a half ago, and I've tried my best to remove that as much as possible. So I, I understand it's noticeable, and I do apologize for that. I tried my best to get it out as, as best as I could. Um, I'll be getting this episode out a couple days or the day before Thanksgiving, and I just want to wish everyone out there listening a very happy Thanksgiving. And uh, don't forget that if you go and use collar and elbow clothing line, please use the, the um, coupon code Japanese Wrestling Classics, and you will get 10% off of your order. With Christmas coming around the corner, it's a great time to get some great clothing from them. And also, if you're looking for certain DVDs, action figures, posters, even rare video games uh, that are wrestling-related, check out Wrestletopia on Facebook. And with that said, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on another episode of Japanese Wrestling Classics with Roy Lusher. <laughs>